This podcast contains graphic or mature material. Depictions of murder and death are discussed in detail during this podcast and may be triggering to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, friends. We are the Cold Case Crew, a group of friends who have gotten together to take a look at some of the oldest cold cases from across the mountain state. We hope to bring new life and hope of resolution to many of these cases that have seemingly gone forgotten. My name is Whitney. And I'm Beth. Ashley is not here with us tonight, unfortunately. We are recording a couple of these in tandem so that we can put out content for you guys. Life gets kind of hectic, so we take these moments while we can to put out the podcast that we still love to do. So everybody send Ashley some prayers. She's a little under the weather, and we hope she'll be feeling better soon. We love you, Ash. Tonight, we're headed to Wetzel County, West Virginia, which sits at the base of the northern panhandle of the state. The year was 1983. Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States. Unemployment had risen to 12 million, the highest since World War II in the 1940s, and Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock premiered on HBO for the first time. Later that year, Sally Ride would become the first woman in space. February called for cold, snowy weather, but for the community of Littleton, West Virginia, presumptively named for pioneer settler William Little, the chilly morning of February 13th would only give way to the discovery of one of the county's biggest mysteries. Today, I will be telling you the story of the Wetzel County Jane Doe. Much like our episode on the Morgan County Jane Doe, which took place years before, we will be doing things a little differently with this episode. Due to the lack of information surrounding the case, as we explained in our previous episode, typically we're able to talk to family members, friends, and acquaintances of the victim. Oftentimes, we have a good sense of who this person was in life. But in the case of R. Jane Doe, we know little more about her than the manner in which she was discovered, deceased, and the possibilities and theories surrounding her fate. So without further ado, Beth, are you ready to go? I am totally ready to get into this. Around 3.30 p.m. on February 13, 1983, an elderly couple was traveling by vehicle on U.S. Route 250, about a half mile from Littleton, West Virginia, when they happened to glance over and notice a strange sight. The area was known by locals at the time to be a popular place to illegally dump trash, so seeing strange articles that had been discarded along this way wouldn't have been uncommon. But what the couple saw was different and caused them to take pause in order to get a closer look. Lying face down in the snow over the hillside was what appeared to be a mannequin. However, upon closer inspection, this mannequin turned out to be the naked body of a Caucasian female. The couple, whose name has remained anonymous to this day, went to the West Virginia State Police, 100th Detachment, to disclose their discovery. It's important to note that two days prior, on the day that the Doe was believed to have met her fate, West Virginia and the Ohio Valley had been struck with the biggest snowfall recorded in the last 40 years. The community was struck with an onslaught of vehicular crashes and power outages were reported throughout the region. By the time the body had been discovered only two days later, the snowfall had ceased. It's for this reason that it is believed that the doe had been discarded only hours before her discovery, as the snowfall had not covered the body, and visible tracks, both foot and tire, were recorded leading to and from the disposal site. From the scene, it was also determined that the body had been thrown from a vehicle, nor had it been thrown from the top of the embankment, but rather had been placed where she was discovered manually. No clothes or personal effects were located near or around where the body lie, making identification extremely difficult. Okay, can I just say, I remember, I know I'm quite a bit older than you, but 1983, I remember this snowstorm and it was horrible. It looked horrible from the pictures. The whole state was like shut down. There may have been, I don't know if they did state of emergencies back then, but you know, when you're younger, you don't really think about things like that. You're just happy you get a day off from school. Yes, yes. And I think I actually got quite a few days off from school, but I remember making tunnels in the front yard. Oh, wow. Yes. 
Yes. I feel like we don't get that much snow anymore. No, we don't get anything like we used to. I mean, it's so weird how our seasons have changed. I'm not complaining. I don't like the snow. I mean, I think probably one of the first years you were here, you saw a big snow. 2014, yeah. Yes. But then, not and we really. may have had one more bigger one after that. I think there was a doggy door involved in that one. I think that was the same snow. Was it the same snow? The okay, same then one. we won't go any further than that. But <laughs> That was a good time, though. But yes, that was a good night. When efforts to identify Jane Doe turned fruitless locally, the body was then sent to the West Virginia University Medical Center in Morgantown on February 15th to await autopsy. An autopsy was performed on the body, which indicated possible suffocation as the most likely cause of death. However, due to the lack of ligature marks on the body, strangulation was ruled out. There was no sign of struggle to the body, no evidence of sexual assault. Homicide was determined solely based on the circumstances in which the body was discovered. The doe's liver, kidneys, heart, lungs, and brain were all revealed to have no issues at the time of death. Toxicology reports indicated no drugs or suspicious substances were present in the system. Time of death was estimated to have been around two to three days prior, though it was believed that the body had only been discarded hours earlier. Law enforcement confirmed in a statement released to the media, we are treating this as a homicide until we are informed differently suffocation like what does that mean like with a pillow well i mean it doesn't it doesn't mean that there's going to be evidence on the neck or because if somebody's suffocated yeah but there you're was, right it could be a pillow it could be anything right? multiple things that if you press down on somebody and they can't fight you off Yeah, and there's no drugs in the system, but is there anything that could pass somebody out or cause them to be passed out that wouldn't pop up as a drug? Well, in 1983, the tests are not as. I mean, nowadays, they know what to look for and how hard to look for it. In 1983, they did not. Touche. I just, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, this is so strange because no ligature marks, obviously, no finger marks on the neck. But just think about if you pushed a pillow on somebody, it's not going to really leave a mark. It's just going to suffocate them. Mm-hmm. Am I right? I mean. Yeah, but don't you think normally people would wake up and fight back, but she didn't have any. It almost makes you if like she, wonder if she had like a paralytic or something in her body, which would cause her not to be able to fight back. Which in 1983 would not be found. Accurate. The doe was estimated to have been between 30 to 45 years of age, approximately 5 foot 5 to 5 foot 6 tall, with medium length auburn hair. Her eye color was not able to be concretely determined, though it is believed that she had brown eyes. Blood type was determined to have been type B. The doe's identifiable features included a scar on her index finger, a cesarean scar, double pierced ears. Her toenails were painted orange at the time of death. Legs and underarms were shaved, shoe size 7 to 7.5. Additionally, an upper denture had been fitted within eight weeks of the doe's death. Teeth number 17, 18, and 32 of the lower mandible were missing. At the time, IDs were not included on dentures, but have since been included to aid in identification. Her dental records have been filed and compared to records from West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. But sadly, a match has yet to be made. In an effort to garner aid and identification from the public, 
West Virginia State Police released a post-mortem photograph of Jane Doe, as well as two subsequent sketches that were made which depict what Jane Doe would most likely look like alive. The first in the series of sketches that were released was drawn by renowned sketch artist Richard Vogelmore and appeared in the Wetzel Chronicle on March 2nd, 1983. I just want to scream. Can we please get 23andMe going in the state of West Virginia? Because this person had a child. She had a cesarean scar. Exactly. Like this should be able to be traced fairly simply, you would think through the use of familial DNA. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, and I'm really not sure. Do we not have this in West Virginia? Has this not been approved in West Virginia yet? I'm not sure because, you know, we had brought it up with regards to our Morgan County Jane Doe. And I feel like at least with this one, we know for a fact she had a child. She had a child, yes. So there is somebody. So there is somebody out there. Within our generation, you would think. With my generation. Or even mine if it was a baby. Right, I mean, somebody that was born like late 70s, early 80s, probably. And also, you know, we're talking about she had a denture fitted within eight weeks. So it's not like she was somebody that was... Oh, no, she definitely took care of herself. Yes. I mean, shaved legs, shaved underarms. Yes. I mean, I like to groom myself, but sometimes I let it lapse a little while. Okay, girls, we all know. I'm lazy. We all know we let the legs go in the wintertime, you know? I'm just saying, but this is wintertime. But she was apparently taking very good care of herself. Her toenails were painted? Yes. I mean, mine are never painted. I'm way too lazy for that. Oh, mine are painted, and it's just because I get them done. But but that's like grooming. Yes. So it's not like she, she was desolate or somebody that didn't take care of herself. So yeah, She clearly takes care of herself. She's up to date with her dental stuff. She shaved. I have a theory, but let's let's continue. Okay, let's continue. One of the first leads that came in shortly after the discovery of the body, the first of which sent law enforcement in search for a male believed to have been in his early 40s who drove a two-tone brown Chevrolet truck with a light color camper top. The unidentified man, who has been described as stocky, and his vehicle were spotted near the scene around 12 to 1 p.m. on the day the body was discovered. Witnesses estimate the male to have been around 5 foot 10 inches tall, weighing between 185 to 200 pounds. He also wore a short brown jacket at the time. Similarly, the truck was estimated to have been a 1978 to 1980 model. In an effort to regain clarity, these witnesses were voluntarily put under hypnosis, which they did that back then, by members of the West Virginia State Police. Sadly, no further details have surfaced from the experiment. To this day, in 2024, there has never been a suspect publicly announced, nor have any sketches been released detailing the mysterious man in the two-tone Chevy. So my mind's going. Are we going to look for Chevys that are two-tone? Are we going to be pulling registrations for the state? Was are all the states plate, around? Like was all, a license yeah. plate noted? Was it from Ohio? Yes. Because, I mean, there's a lot of those drivers around here, and they're not very good. So several years later, in 1985, it was suggested to authorities that the Wetzel County Jane Doe could have been the victim of redhead murders, a series of murders that took place among five states 
States in the eastern United States between 1978 and 1992. These victims all shared red or reddish colored hair, and much like our Jane Doe, the victims often went unidentified. This possibility has been explored by law enforcement, and while it hasn't been disproven, the Wetzel County Jane Doe has never been conclusively identified as a victim in these series of murders. Well, why not? I guess because they can't prove anything. And it still goes along with my kind of thought from earlier, which I didn't share because I got distracted. But I feel kind of like, okay, she was well-groomed. She is potentially a victim of this redheaded thing, and they're unidentified. No one's come forward looking for her. Um, Can I just say, like, was she a prostitute? I'm not sure in the 80s that prostitutes were well-groomed. Now, she may have been a call girl. Or a stripper. In West Virginia, I don't think they're well-groomed either. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm probably speaking out of... I really don't know. I don't know either because I don't really know a lot about that population. I mean, they didn't say she had a uh, Mountain Dew bottle with her or a bottle of Cherry Coke. <laughs> when when we came here and did casting, they literally were like, that's a prostitute. I'm like, how do you know that's a prostitute? They're like, she's walking down the road with a Mountain Dew bottle. And if it's a Cherry Coke, she's on a rag. Who said that? That's literally what I was told in Wyoming County when we were doing casting for that movie. Like, literally, like I don't know, some one of the kids that people we were- People that live there. People that live there. And they would know. I know, because we were like in Oceana, and I'm just like, wait, how do you, what? All right. Wow. I know, that's why I was like, made the joke. Like, geez. Whoa. Another theory, and perhaps it's one of the most widely accepted by members of the community and law enforcement representatives, is that Ardo was the victim of a Hare Krishna enforcer who had since been in prison for life without parole. Thomas Drescher, a Krishna member, was charged in 1986 with another 1983 murder of another female Krishna member. It has been revealed that prostitution and drug dealing ran rampant at this time among the Krishna community in Moundsville. At the time, in 1983, the Hare Krishnas had been recruiting women from Wheeling and Pittsburgh, PA areas as far as New York and bringing the women back to their sect located in nearby Marshall County near Moundsville. This area is known as New Vrindaban. Don't know if I pronounced that correctly, so sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Hari. But that was a really good try. Vrindaban. And is the location of the sex palace of gold. It has been said that if a woman recruit became uncooperative or tried to leave the sect, the Hare Krishnas would have that person eliminated as a result. Could our Jane Doe have been the victim of an angry Hare Krishna after trying to leave the sect unsuccessfully? Sadly, much like the connection to the redheaded murders, no evidence has been brought forth conclusively connecting our Jane Doe to the Hare Krishna community. Ten years later, the local community ran an article about the anniversary of the Doe's discovery, which led to another series of new leads. According to the West Virginia State Police, it was disclosed that the Doe may have been a prostitute servicing the Pittsburgh area. Likewise, it was said that she may or may not have patronized a bar in Wheeling, West Virginia. Authorities have never disclosed the name of the establishment the Doe was said to have frequented. However, they have confirmed the connection of the Doe to the Wheeling, Pittsburgh areas. Okay, this is my question. So if they think that she frequented said bar, then they probably know what her name possibly might be. That's interesting. I never put two and two together on that. But I wonder if it's just like, oh, we've seen her before. She looks familiar. She used to come here, but we don't know who she is. I mean, it's not Cheers. Well, yeah, but if people are knowing her as a prostitute... 
Maybe she had a prostitute. Maybe she had name a nickname. Or, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, look, it's Barb. Or like... Trixie. Trixie, yeah. Candy. Yeah. Candy. I like candy, yeah. But you would think they would put that out there. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's the prostitute formerly known as Pixie. Or Buffy. Who knows? <laughs> Alas, the Wetzel County Jane Doe was laid to rest in 1993. With the help and generous heart of a local couple, John and Naomi Beatty, the Doe was adopted and able to receive a proper burial in a spot among the family's private cemetery plots. Though her true identity has not yet been revealed, the couple, along with members of Dr. Frost's medical staff at WVU, have affectionately given her the moniker Judy. Why? Well, she just looked like a Judy. Well, that's nice. At least she has a name. I mean... Nobody wants to be a Jane. And nobody wants to be the prostitute formerly known as Trixie. Right. You would much rather be a Judy. I like Judy. It's a respectable name. It is a respectable name. So I'm going to open this up for commentary. This is the part of the podcast where Beth and I will dive deeper into the crime and ask questions. We'll also volley around ideas and theories about the case. So uh, you want to get us started, Beth? Okay, so it's tricky to dive too deep into the background of our Jane Doe, but let's start at the beginning. What do we know about our Jane Doe? What, if anything, can we infer from that information? Well, I mean, we kind of already started doing this. She's well-groomed. Her legs are shaved. It's the middle of the winter. We've already discussed this. This is the 80s, too. Hair was a thing. And our girl had shaved legs and painted toenails. Well, and not only was she well-groomed. She went to the doctors. She had her teeth taken care of. She had had a, a child with a cesarean section. There's a lot more there. Like, did they look into what children had been born within, like, you know, so many years before that? Or Well, I guess that's kind of hard to tell because... Think about how many children are born every single day. Like, we can't even pinpoint where she lived. We don't know. If you think about Wheeling, think about, like, the geography of West Virginia. Wheeling, you can go 10 minutes and be in one state. You can go 10 minutes in another yeah. direction and be in another. Like, it's yeah. up near the FU of the state. Yeah. Northern Panhandle. Yeah. It's the middle finger. It's the middle finger of the state. Yeah. So. So, yeah, you can be in, like, three other states, four other states. Very Quickly. Very quickly. It's transient. There's a lot of transients in that area. But let me ask you this. So this is my question. So if you were in some other state, would you actually go to West Virginia? I mean, to Willing, West Virginia back in 1983? I mean, to be honest with you, growing up here my whole life, all I want to do was get out of here, which I never did. But no, I you're mean, still here. I'm still here. And I love it here. I love West Virginia. It's our little secret. But like you, I grew up with a family that traveled to different places. And so I didn't have to always stay in West Virginia. I was able to go and see things. So my question, I always ask people when they move to West Virginia, so what made you move here? Do Everybody you know has, I do that too. I'm always like, where I'm a transplant, to me, it's always really interesting. Like, how'd you end up here? Because there's a lot of transplants. There, there is, really there are. is, yeah. And everybody has an interesting story. You all, you kind of fall into it. You go to school here, you marry someone here. Yes, yes. But doesn't that make you wonder, like, what placed her Well, that's here? why I'm, I kind of feel like she might be a, a lady of the night. And you could be right. I mean, that just kind of makes sense to me, especially... Well, and probably in that time... About, 
up in that area too. How easy could it be for her to work a tri-state area? Well, and there were probably men up there that were able to take care of her. Yeah. I mean, Hare Krishna's aside, I don't really know much about the Hare Krishna I don't know much about that either. So I kind of remember a little bit about the, what was it called? New Vrindavan. The the Palace of Gold. It is one of those things that is advertised as like one of the curious things in your state because i remember when i came here everybody is like what is that oh no i love that stuff so when i lived in la they had a they have a book called la bizarro and it has all these like really weird places in and around the los angeles area that you can go visit like just like kitschy things yeah i love that shit like so when you came here you totally looked into that and it was one of the things it's like you were the first person to tell me about that yeah, and then, actually, yeah. And then there's like the Mothman Museum, and it's like the mystery hole that's in Fayette County. Have you heard of the mystery hole? I have heard of the mystery hole. Have you been to the mystery hole? I haven't been to the mystery hole, which is really weird, but... But no, seriously, like, it, it, I feel like the Palace of Gold is one of those touristy, like, if you like kind of kitschy stuff, you'll like, enjoy stuff like that. People don't realize that that's in West Virginia, I don't think. And it's like... Random. It's just like... It's just out in the middle of nowhere on the top of a mountain. And there's the Hare Krishnas. Yes, in, in this palace. amazing gold palace. Right? Which, I don't know, are they still very active there, or... Never went. Like, I've never went either, or never been. I have really haven't spent a lot of time in the northern part of the state. I love the eastern panhandle. Love, oh, you love, know I do, too, because that's where I was born. Panhandle. Love it. But haven't really spent a lot of time in the northern panhandle. So, given all the theories around the case... What do you think? Do you think she was a victim of the Hare Krishnas? Do you think she could have been tied to the redheaded murders? Or do you think she was just a victim of happenstance? Wrong place at the wrong time. Well, I feel like I need to know a little more about the redhead murder spree. True. To make that, like, was this person caught? I don't know. I didn't research it too much. Yeah. You probably should have, but. Well, and the Hare Krishna thing, I always thought they were peaceful people. I think they are, but I also feel like. There was like a different part of them or something or. Maybe just women are subservient, perhaps. Women serve the men. I feel like it's kind of that. That's a lot of Eastern cultures. But when you think if she was involved with Hare Krishna, she probably wouldn't have painted toenails and taking care of her teeth and. Touche. Well, maybe maybe theory because we don't really know a lot about that but i just think she very easily could have been a lady of the night she's close to moundsville people get released from that place all the time people escape that place that place is sketch well we've had moundsville in some of our former a lot of our former episodes i don't like moundsville it gives me the creeps yeah it does me too but my point being the prison is there you never know you never know what could come out of there Exactly. Plus, and you also think about drugs and being very close to many borders. Of course, drugs back in that day were pretty much cocaine and pot. True. And she didn't have any drugs in her system, but you never know what she could have seen. If she could have pissed anybody off. Ooh, maybe she saw something she shouldn't have seen and she was offed because of that. Accurate, but how was she offed? See, suffocation, but suffocation, how? And I wonder if that's something that they're keeping close to the vest. Well, I mean, she doesn't have a a hand mark on her mouth. Mm -mm. So there was not a hand. No ligature. So it had to be a pillow or... But you would fight back and there was no no self-defense wounds. Okay, isn't there like some type of move that somebody can do that's... There's some kind of pressure point or something you can pressure hit. point that you can hit 
that I think can just kill someone instantly. And what it does is it just jolts the system. Jolts, jolts like their esophagus or there's something right here that it, I can't think of it. It's like I've known about that, but I can't remember where it was or what it was, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's definitely more information about this case that if the police are smart, they're keeping to themselves because how else are you going to, you know, suss out a victim? Oh, well, we killed her by this. Well, we didn't release that. How do you know that? Yeah. Hopefully they'll look into 23andMe. Yeah. 23andMe or any of those DNA. And I feel like with this case more than it's kind of like you go to the Morgan County Jane Doe. Would it be nice to know who killed her and to have closure in that aspect? Yes. But number one, she deserves a name and at least giving this person an identity. Kudos to the people that gave her a proper burial and gave her Judy. I know that was very sweet. The Wetzel County Jane Doe is described as being approximately 5 feet 5, weighing 130 to 135 pounds. She was discovered deceased on February 13th, 1983 near Littleton, West Virginia. She has medium-length auburn hair. She had recently been fitted for an upper dental plate within eight weeks of her death. Teeth 17, 18, and 32 of the lower mandible were said to be missing. Her dental records and DNA are on file through NamUs for comparison. It's been 40 years since this murder. And her case is still cold. If you or anyone you know has any information regarding the identity or the murder of the Wetzel County Jane Doe, contact the West Virginia State Police at 304-455-0913. You're not required to give your name and can submit a tip anonymously. Stay tuned next time when CCC dives into the murder of Samantha Burns, a cold case from Cabell County.